Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, because we think about you working in our hearts and our lives, we think about you working around us and the fact that you're, you're constantly showing us grace. God, you're so merciful and patient with us. Even when we fail, you're kind. God, even, even when we're obeying, you're patient in the areas that we, we drop the ball in and you encourage us and reward us for obedience, God, that sometimes just feels difficult or rogue. God, you, you're just really patient with us. And God, I pray for all of us in this room. I don't know everyone that's here today, but we know that you're here today and you know exactly what every person in this room needs. And God, I pray you would speak to hearts. God, I pray you work in our hearts that we would have ears to hear what you would say to us through your word. God, we just, we want to hear from you. We want this time that we're gathered together to be about you and worshiping you and proclaiming you. God, we want you to be lifted up today. So we ask that you would work on our hearts that we'd be able to see that and celebrate it and enjoy it and hear what you would say to us. God, I'm also asking, would, would you help me to teach? God, I pray that you would use me in a way that doesn't make sense, that the only possible explanation is that you take a weak man's weak words and you use the spirit to do a powerful work in the hearts of men and women around us, that it's clearly you at work. So God, I'm asking for you to take my teaching and do what's impossible to change hearts. And God, we pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, well, if I haven't met you, my name is Fias. I'm the lead pastor here at North Florida Baptist Church. Uh, earlier, you met Logan. I need to let y'all know this. Uh, it, um, I say you met Logan. Some of you met Logan. The rest of you know Logan. Uh, Logan, in case you didn't know this, um, we've just decided just a couple weeks ago, Logan is going to be coming on full time as our youth pastor starting in June. So starting June 1st, uh, he's been working. I know, I'm pretty pumped about it. We're excited about it, Logan. Uh, we we want to pour time and energy and money and people and resources into our youth. We want to see teenagers. We want to see grades 6th to 12th grade reached with the gospel. We want to see them disciple. We want them to grow, and we think it's worth spending money on that. So we're excited about Logan be able to go full-time and not just giving his spare time, but spending all of his time, not all of your time, but all your working time pouring into our students um, and students that aren't here yet. We want to see... God use him to reach, uh, be part of our strategy for, for reaching every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee, which includes teenagers and teenagers at every school in Tallahassee. We want to see God use this church to reach teenagers at North Florida Christian School and Lincoln and Leon and Childs. We want to see God use this church to reach people at Raw Middle School. I don't even know all the middle schools, so I'm not even going to try to go down that path. And if you're at a high school I missed, I'm sorry. We want to see him hit... God, you hit every student in every high school and every home school and every Christian school and every private school in all of Tallahassee. We want to see Jesus work among every man, woman, and child without exception. Uh, so I'm, I preached a, a mini sermon in my announcement. Who knew? Uh, the, so anyways, that's why we're spending money to have staff that can help lead us in reaching every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee. That, that's what we care about, church. And here's why we care about that, because that's what Jesus cares about. If that's what he wants, then we're going to do it. We're going to make it that simple, right? And we may not know how to do it. It feels impossible to say things like that. But guess what? Uh, we just sang a song talking about him being waymaker. He does the impossible. I believe that's true. If he can bring a man back from the dead, then he can reach every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee. And he can use weak people like us to do it. 
All right. So let me, uh, let me keep moving on here. That was my announcement. Uh, mini sermon. I don't know if I should have an invitation. Let me give you one of the heads up at the end of the sermon today, we're going to be doing a time of response where we take communion. If, if you didn't get one of these and I'll walk us through that. If you didn't get one of these and you came in, it's okay. I'll have guys at the end kind of, you can raise your hand and we'll get you one of these little COVID friendly, um, communion cups. Um, just so you know, it's going to be hard to get the film off. We'll just go ahead and embrace that right now. The awkwardness in like 15, 20 minutes whenever we're trying to do that and we're scraping at it. And I just lost some of you because I said 15, 20 minutes and you're saying there's no way that guy preaches 15, 20 minutes. He takes five minutes to announce a youth pastor. So let me jump right into our sermon. We've been in the book of Titus and I've really enjoyed the book of Titus. One of the reasons I like the book of Titus is Paul is writing to this young guy that he left on the island of Crete. And he's like, listen, uh, Titus, you're with me. We went around, we planted all these churches. Now I'm leaving you in Crete while I go do more work. And I need you to finish setting up these churches, get them organized, get them squared away, get them ready to be the church that Jesus intends for them to be. And so the first chapter, he spent all this time talking about what leadership needs to look like. Why it's multiple elders in the church and they need to have character and integrity. They, they need to be real Jesus people. That was his point in chapter one. Chapter two, he shifted to the teaching that has to happen in the church. And listen, the teaching, man, it's, it's felt a little aggressive at times. I, I don't know if y'all felt that. If you've been here, like there's times like, okay, that was kind of hard to hear. And, and for some of us, like, okay, that, that's, that's rough. He starts talking to the older men and says, I need you to be sober-minded and self-controlled. It's self-controlled over and over and over again for all the groups. You need you to be dignified and godly. Like older men, you need to be this. And, and older ladies, you need to be this. And he gave another list of things and they all felt hard and difficult. Like maybe for y'all it felt easy. For me, it feels hard and difficult. It says things like reverent and godly. And again, that self-controlled. And then they need to teach the younger women and has this explanation of what the younger women are to be like, how they're supposed to be self-controlled again and pure and this whole list of things. And some of them were easy and some of them were hard. Then he got to the younger men and had instructions for them and for slaves. He went through this whole list. And at the end of that list in Titus chapter two, verse 10, he says, Here, here's why you need to teach this. They need to live in this way, all of them, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, the leaders and the slaves. They all need to live in this way. Why? At the end of verse 10, he says this, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In other words, listen, your lives, the way you live, the way we teach you to live, highlights the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the way you live at work, the way you live at home, the way you live out at the marketplace, the way you live at school, the way you live and the things that you're doing fun, the way we teach you to live adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ, at, at least it's supposed to be. Now, now listen, uh, I don't know how you respond to a high list of expectations, but as we've been spending several weeks on that, I, I just want to address this real quick. For all the overachievers or achievers in the room, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know you would. None of us want to see that right now. Uh, I'm just kidding. For all the achievers in the room, when you hear an expectation or a standard or something, you're like, listen, you want me to be self-controlled, I tell you what I'm going to do, right? If you're an achiever, 
The chief, you know what you do, right? You know what you did. You said, all right, self-control, got it. I am on it. I'm adding self-control to my list. Sober-minded, listen, I'm going to be the most sober-minded person you ever met. And I got six weeks to get there. I've, I've got a spreadsheet and a chart. I've got bullet points. I've read three books on being sober-minded. Like all the achievers in the room, you know who you are. You got after that list of things. And you saw sober-minded or dignified. You're like, I, I'm going to do that. And now here's the danger for all my achievers in the room. There's two dangers. Some of you achieved it and it made you unbearable. Not because you emailed me. You, none of you emailed me. That's not like, right? Like you achieved it. And when, when you're an achiever in a room and you see an expectation, you go after it and you get it, it, it can create this thing in you when you do it on your own, where you look around at everyone around you and you look down on them with judgment because they didn't achieve the same way you did. You ever experienced that? You, you may have, I don't, maybe you experienced it as the achiever. Maybe you experienced it as the non-achiever next to the achiever, right? But, but an achiever who accomplishes a task on their own can get very arrogant and judgy. Is judgy the right word? Okay, we'll go with judgy, all right? You can get real judgy. You look at the people around you and you say, seriously, you can't just set your alarm clock 15 minutes early and get up and read your Bible, which is a fair question. I'm going to throw that out there, but it's, it's not the question. It's, it's the judgment on top of it, right? You stink so bad, so badly you stink. You, you don't love Jesus enough to give up 15 minutes of sleep. That's, that's the tone of the achievers in the room. And listen, I hope there's not marriage fights about to happen in this room. You're already in a fight and you haven't even gotten to lunch yet. Um, but, but there's another thing that can happen with achievers. It, the, the danger for some of us is not that you achieve and get it. It's for the, the achiever when they fail, when they don't hit the standard. When they sit there and say, okay, I've been trying to be self-controlled since he preached that for six weeks. And bro, I got to be honest, like I'm swinging and missing like four out of five times or okay, maybe two out of five because you're achiever, whatever it is, right? Like, but those two times are driving you nuts. And the third time is on its way towards you right now this week. You're going to have a third time of failure. Like you keep failing over and over and over again. And if you're an achiever, what can happen is uh, you realize you can't meet that expectation fully, right? So you'll begin to blame. You'll start blaming someone or something. Well, I would be more self-controlled if my kids wouldn't wake me up at night. It's their fault I'm not self-controlled, which maybe, I don't know. But it's not their fault. Uh, I, I can blame whatever it is. I can blame a million different things. I would be more dignified if my wife was nicer to me. Uh, I would be more respectable if people around me weren't idiots. I, no, is that, okay, that one hit. Some of y'all been on social media, you know. Like I would definitely control my mouth and my Twitter thumbs a lot better if people didn't post insanity online. It's everyone else's fault because I'm in a world of morons and they're making me lose my mind. You can't expect me to be sane with this insanity around me, right? So you begin to blame other people as, as if my response is their fault. You ever done that? Or, or maybe you blame the expectation. Listen, you may, you may say that God wants me to be dignified and everything, but he doesn't mean Twitter. That's, that expectation is insane. You cannot be dignified in the, midst of, in the midst of a hostile culture. As if Rome was a very 
uh, embracing culture to Christianity in the first century. Yeah, Crete was a great place to be a Christian. That wasn't hostile at all, if you've been paying attention to that. But yeah, they weren't all just killing Christians left and right, town to town. That wasn't hostile. Paul would never expect me in the United States of America in 2021 to be dignified and gentle because Rome wasn't like this at all, right? Like there's, there's this, I don't like the expectation, so I lower it. Or I just say the expectation is unreasonable, so it shouldn't be on me. Or you just give up. I'm done. For all the achievers in the room, you just say, and you hate it, but you're justified because the expectation wasn't reasonable and people are insane. So you just give up on that expectation and then you ignore it from then on because you can't handle failure. That's for the achievers in the room. But, but the non-achievers in the room, for the rest of us who achievement is a mystery, um, I mean, not completely. I'm not saying you're a loser. I'm just saying achievement feels hard, right? Uh, you, you've already, you hear the expectation and it's just straight. I'm just going to ignore that. And let me tell you why. I've already come to terms with the fact that when it comes to walking with Jesus, I'm never going to be a pastor. I'm never going to be in the elite realm of spiritual people. So I don't, listen, can we just go ahead and skip over that? Like, it's tough enough for me to show up at church, let alone be self-controlled and dignified and all the other list of expectation that God has for followers of Jesus. Like, can I just, let's just, let's work on church right now. Let's not work on self-control. Right? You, you see the expectation and it just feels so beyond. It feels like it's for the elite that you just don't even start trying. Like the achiever tried and failed and then gave up and got angry about it. The, the strugglers among us, they just, you didn't even start. And if you did, it was like, I know this is, I know this is doomed, but I'm just going to try it. And maybe there's a real miracle that's going to happen. And this week I'm self-controlled. I, I don't know. But then there's others this third group is probably a little bit trickier. You've, you've heard the expectations of God and you, you didn't respond with, I'm going to make this happen or I'm not even going to bother. You responded, there was this rebellion in your heart, like a stubbornness. Like while the achiever has an arrogance to him and the, the non-achiever just says, I'm just a failure. So there's this like, like false guilt, lowness about them. The, the other, it's a, a hidden rebellion. You wouldn't even, you wouldn't say it out loud, but inside, like, I ain't doing that. I'm not even going to try because I don't want to. Like, it's just, it's just straight. No, or, or it can, the rebellion can get trickier because our rebellion is not always as blatant as we would like it to be. Sometimes rebellion knows how to turn the tables on the person with the expectation. You, you ever seen this? If you're a parent, you've seen it. Let me tell you how they do it. Uh, your kids will do it this way. They'll say, you know what? Um, you weren't really clear enough. When you said clean my room, I didn't know you meant all of the room. You weren't that clear. You were, your expectation wasn't clear. So what happens in rebellion is you can turn the tables on the person in charge and you change the expectation. You say, no, the problem wasn't me and my obedience. The problem is you. You don't know how to communicate clearly. As if God's expectation and God's communication is weak, as if he's an incompetent communicator. Or, or we, we try it different. Like it's, you know, you were so unclear and it's so confusing. I'm not even going to bother. Like you, you blame all of his communication or you, or you say this, I thought you meant this. I thought when you told me to clean my room, you meant just make my bed. I didn't think you meant pick up all the toys off the floor. That's no, like, dad, you gotta, you gotta learn to speak clear. I I thought you meant this. It wasn't me. I wasn't willfully disobeying. I was just obeying what I thought you said or, 
or, or my favorite. I don't think you said that. Did you say that? You told me to go clean the room? I'm pretty sure, Dad, I'm pretty sure you didn't say that. I'm pretty sure you said don't go clean your room and go play Nintendo. I'm 100% positive, Dad. That's exactly what you said. But, but this is exactly what happens in the church, only it's much sneakier in the church. All the time, we're, we can constantly, and it masks our rebellion. God, I don't understand. God, you aren't clear. God, I don't think you said that to me. But he has been clear and he has articulated exactly what he wanted to say. And we found a way to ignore it with rebellion. And so listen, that's a really brutal introduction because here's what I want to say. In, in all this teaching, we may have responded in different ways, but the verses that we're getting to today, I, I think they're some of the best verses in the entire book because... The verses we're looking at today are the foundation for all the verses we've looked at so far. You, you got to hear this. You've been given all these expectations over and over and over and over again for weeks from the book of Titus that you can't do on your own. And when we finally get to these verses, these verses I'm the most excited about in the book of Titus, when we get to these verses, these are the verses that show us how to do it. Okay, so I believe that these verses are for us today. All of us in this room. Let me, let, let me read these verses. Titus chapter 2. He says this, verse 11. Just gave all these lists, these expectations for how you're supposed to live, how we're supposed to teach you to live. It says this in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Let me hit pause right there. I, it's crazy because I want you to circle one word in that verse. It's the very first one. For. You, you, you want to talk about the word for? Like, yes, I do want to talk about the word for because that, that word is huge in this passage. That word for can also mean because. Let me say it this way. Here's what he's saying. Listen, Titus, you got to teach these people. You teach them to live good and godly and holy lives. Why? Because the grace of God has appeared. Let me put that in your brain for a second. Titus, you got to teach them to live right lives because of grace. Because of grace. Does that sound backwards to you? What does he mean because of grace? Grace means the kindness of God. And he's saying this kindness appeared. It can also mean like it started shining on us. The grace of God suddenly showed up. I mean, it was there, but it really showed up. And when did it show up? What happened when it showed up? I mean, what is he talking about here? What, why, does, why, does, why do our lives, the way we live, matter so much? Why does the church have to teach us how to live life? What's the foundation for that? The foundation is because the grace of God appeared. And the grace of God, here's what it says it did. It said it brought salvation for everyone. What is that talking about? Tell you what that's talking about. It's talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's the foundation for what we do. The foundation is this, that God saw people, all people, us. He saw you and me. He saw every man, woman, and child in every nation and every generation throughout all time. He saw all of us. He saw our good and he saw our bad. He saw our successes and our brokenness and our failures. He saw the worst thing you've ever thought or wanted, and he saw it clearly. There's no hiding it. And listen, if that makes you nervous, it should. Like, it makes me nervous to think about anyone seeing all of me. But I can't hide. He sees all of me. 
And he chose to respond in a way that's shocking. He, he shouldn't respond this way. When you see all of me, you don't respond with love and say, I want to hang out with you. You respond with, bro, you're kind of gross. You're kind of mean. I definitely don't like you. And by kind of, I mean, you're definitely mean, right? Instead, he leaned in and said, listen, okay, yeah, you are gross and you are mean, but I want you. So he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. He lived this perfect life and God took all of my brokenness and my sin and my rebellion, all of it. He took all the rebellion of the worst human beings in all the world and he judged Jesus for it. He paid the full price for our sin. The Bible says he died, he was buried, and three days later, he came back to life. Like, that's, that's insane good news. And he offers this thing. He says, listen, I came and died on the cross and came back to life three days later, and I'm offering you wholeness and forgiveness and relationship with me. And I'm just asking to believe, to trust me and ask me to save you. He that's what God is doing. That's the good news of Jesus. This grace, let me call it, this gospel grace of Jesus, the grace of God appeared. And that is the foundation of everything that the church is supposed to teach and do. Uh, let me say it this way. We should be saturated by gospel grace all the time. It, it, it should saturate our mission. It should saturate our social media. It should, it's really hard to keep saying saturate. I'm gonna, I need to switch words. I should have thought about that before I wrote saturate 15 million times on this. It should totally cover everything that we do. Listen, gospel grace should be in everything we do, everywhere we go, and everyone we interact with. It's, it's gospel grace. Now, I, you need to hear this. Today, if you showed up here and you're feeling kind of raw and broken, if you feel like, man, I just, man, I'm hoping I can get grace somewhere, and for some reason you showed up at a church, I want you to know why I think you came to the right place. I don't think you came to the right place because we're awesome. I think you came to the right place because we can connect you to an unlimited source of grace, and his name is Jesus Christ. Listen, he's gracious and he's kind, and he's merciful, and he's patient, and he's loving, and he's strong, and he is for us. Let me say it this way. He's for you. I, want you. I don't want you just to hear those words like a fact and let it move on out. I want that to sink in and bounce around in your heart. The almighty God, the holy, huge majestic king of the universe is for you. That's, that's the grace of God. The, the grace of God that exploded, it, it's what the church is supposed to be about. It's who we're supposed to be. So if you need grace, man, I hope, I hope you can run to Jesus today. And I'm telling you, he's got more grace than you will ever need. Like there's not a limit to that bank account. He's just filling it up over and over and over and over again. And I would put myself down as one of those chief illustrations of it because I need grace. I need a lot of grace and I always need grace and we all will always need grace and he never gets tired of giving it to us, ever. Listen, you, I don't know what you did this weekend. You may have done the worst failure for the five kabillionth time in a row. I don't even know how that's possible to do it five kabillion times, but you've done it a million times. He's not tired of giving you grace. He loves giving us grace. 
That's shocking. That is the foundation for all of the teaching of the church. And even as I say that, I say out loud that the church is supposed to be all about the grace of Jesus. Does anyone here feel the irony of that statement? Why does it feel ironic to some of us? Because we've been in church. <laughs> Probably not supposed to say that out loud at church. But, but when you think about, bro, I think I really need grace right now. Is going to a church top of your list? Not if you've been to a lot of them. Listen, the, the sad truth is, dude, the church oftentimes has totally blown it when it comes to grace. We've done other things. We've given rules. We've gone for power. We've gone for legalism to control you. We've tried to guilt you. We've tried to shame you. We've tried to scare you by describing hell in explicit detail. You've been in those services? And then you got to go throw your stick in the campfire afterwards because you're too afraid. You got to burn every CD you own when you get back home, right? If you grew up in church, you know that world. You know the world of manipulation, of fear, of control, of shame, of guilt, of every trick in the book. But grace, I don't think... I don't know how many times I've actually experienced real grace at church. I don't know how many times I've given real grace at church. Right? I mean, churches don't become graceless places because everyone's handing out grace left and right. We're, we, we hoard it or we just don't even know it and we don't dispense grace and give grace. We don't experience grace because we're not giving it. And of all the places, of all the places in all the world, the church of Jesus, the suffering, crucified servant. If there's any place you should get grace, it's among his people. Like church, we should be a grace people. We should be filled and saturated and overflowing with grace for one another all the time for those around us. We have to be people of grace. And I also want to say this, some of you, uh, you haven't experienced grace at church. I matter you experienced the exact opposite. I just, I got to say this. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've experienced. But even as I was writing this and thinking about it, there's going to be people in this room that have experienced the opposite of grace at church, that have experienced the opposite of grace maybe at this church. All right, am I allowed to go there? Y'all aren't offended at that? Okay, I, I'm part of this. All right, so here's what I'm saying. If you've experienced the, you haven't experienced grace or you've experienced the opposite, can I just say, I'm, I'm glad you're still here. And I want to ask you to forgive us for dropping the ball and not representing Jesus well to you. Jesus is better than we are. He, he really is. We really want to be a people of grace. I want, I'm praying for us as a church. I'm teaching through the Bible so that we be a people of radical, shocking grace. That it doesn't matter what you did this week, what you look like. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how little money you have. It doesn't matter how clean or dirty, how addicted you are. It doesn't matter. I want you to come to be a part of this people and taste a grace that you've never known. That, that doesn't make sense. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. 
Church, we, we need to be a people of grace. And, and I don't mean like grace light. Like, sorry, in my head I go down this road. For some reason I, I started thinking about Diet Coke people. I know, just stick with me here. Like some of you are probably, any Diet Coke people here in the room, you prefer Diet Coke to regular Coke. Listen, I tricked you. You shouldn't have raised your hand. Okay, I'm going after Diet Coke. Like, listen, nobody, okay, maybe it's a few weirdos. Uh, when you're in your teens and in your 20s, nobody prefers Diet Coke unless your parents abused you and only gave you Diet Coke as a kid. Everybody, like you, you don't want Diet Coke. Why not? Because if you're used to real Coke with real sugar in it, you get that Diet Coke, like this is flat. Something's, what's wrong with this? They put something, something's broken with this Coke if you get Diet Coke. But sometimes what happens, we get used to light Coke. We want Diet Coke, not as much sugar, not as much goodness, right? We, we want aspartame, whatever else is in there that causes cancer. And so we get used to it and we retrain our taste buds to like Diet Coke more than regular Coke. It's probably good for you. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a health expert. But right, we, we all know this. Diet Dr. Pepper is not equal to real Dr. Pepper, right? I don't, you can put whatever commercial you want. None of us are buying it. I mean, we're buying Diet We're buying it because we're fat, but we're not buying it because it's better, right? Okay. And sometimes with grace, we get that way. Sometimes we hear about grace, like, oh, I got that. We got grace light, man. It's like diet Coke. It's diet grace. I'm not talking about being a church that's got a little bit of grace, some kind of aspartame mixed in there. Mixed in there. I'm talking about the real deal, like all the sugar and goodness grace you can imagine. I'm talking about fully saturated grace in the church, not grace light. Listen, we, we, we don't get to make it diet grace. You got to get grace right all the way, all the time. Why? Listen, this passage is going to lay out three powerful things that real grace, not watered down grace, not flat grace, not diet grace. Real grace does three very powerful things. First one, look at, look at the rest of verse 12. Or verse 11 it says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I already kind of went over that. Here's the deal. Gospel grace saves people, like eternally saves people. It, it saves all people. See that word there? That he, it's appeared bringing salvation for all people, all of them. Every race, every background, every gender, every political affiliation. The gospel grace of Jesus brings salvation for all. It's not for a small percentage of the population. It's for all. It's for the people that live on Live Oak and the people that live in the housing authority right down over here. It's, it's, it's for the people that have the high paying jobs and are unemployed. It's for Republicans and Democrats. It's for white, black, and everything in between. Listen, the gospel grace of Jesus saves. That's why we cannot water it down. But there's a second thing that it does. It doesn't just save. Look, I found this amazing. I thought just the wisdom of God and his word, because he knows what we'll do when we go off on grace. Look at verse 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse 12, what else does it do? Training us. The grace of God, the gospel grace of God, it trains us to do what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. 
Listen, the grace of God, that word trains means it, it's not just it gives you a lecture. It's actually, it's giving you like an apprenticeship. It's hands-on experience, right? The, the gospel grace of God teaches us, it's that word renounce is better translated, saying no to ungodliness. You know what the grace of God trains you to be able to do? Say no to sin. You can say no to the worst desires of your heart, not by your own effort, by your own power, but by the gospel grace of Jesus. let Let me flesh this out for you a little bit. Let me tell you what Jesus did not do, because I think sometimes when we talk about grace, here's what happens at the church. We swing. We swing from legalism and we take grace and we run with it to this place that what grace does is it ignores sin, says not going to look at it. Or what grace does is it minimizes sin. It's not that big of a deal. Or what grace does is just says, it doesn't matter if you sin. Gospel grace doesn't do that because Jesus didn't do that. Imagine what happens if Jesus, instead of dying on the cross, says, it ain't no big deal that you sinned. And guess what? I'm still dead in my sin. I need him to say sin is a big deal. I need him to acknowledge that I'm not okay. If he tells me I'm okay when I'm not, he doesn't die for me. He tells me the truth. I'm deeply broken. The only remedy was his death on the cross. That's not minimizing it. It's not ignoring it. I'm just going to pretend like Fies isn't a sinner. Nope, because he does that. He doesn't die on the cross. Listen, the good news of Jesus starts with the bad news that I need a savior. I'm that bad. Listen, gospel grace teaches us that sin is bad and it enables us to say no to it. It's not a license to do whatever you want. It's the power. It's the power to say no to sin. Listen, you want to kill sin? It's not going to happen with more self-control. You kill sin by the power of Jesus Christ at work in you, by the good news that he really died for you, that he really cleans you, that he's really strong enough to work in your heart. Here's the rest of the good news. Jesus didn't just die. He came back to life three days later. I want you to hear the grace of this, that the same power that brings a man back from the dead after three days, That same power, which is shockingly strong, the same power in Jesus that heals a blind man, that raises Lazarus from the dead, that walks on water, that same power is unleashed in you and I to be able to kill sin. That's good news. The good news is not he died for you, now get to work. The good news is he died for you and he is getting to work in us. I have access to a power to kill sin I never had before. The grace of God teaches me to say no to ungodliness. And it teaches me, look at this part in the rest of verse 12, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present lives. Listen, it teaches me to say no to sin and teaches me to say yes to living rightly. In other words, it doesn't just teach me to stop sinning. It teaches me how to love. It, It enables me to be able to actually do good things. It's not just stopping bad things. It's doing good things. And I want you to notice one of the words that is in there. You notice this word there? It teaches me to live self-controlled. How many times has that word popped up in this chapter? I want you to imagine this. The people in Crete, let me remind you what they're like. Titus chapter one, verse 10 or verse 11. I forgot what verse it is. 
Verse 12. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to go through all the verses. Titus chapter 1, verse 12, he says this. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And he's like, this testimony, it's true. They're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So teach them to be self-controlled. How you feeling about that one? Ain't feeling great about it because I'm a liar, evil beast, and a lazy gutton. I'm the exact opposite of self-controlled. And then he says this, for the grace of God appeared and it trains you to live self-controlled lives. That's good news if you're a Christian. If you are the exact opposite of self-controlled of God's expectation, the good news is that the grace of God showed up and it enables you to actually do right. That's the good news of grace. So any type of grace that you would hear that minimizes sin or doesn't enable you to live rightly, it's not the real deal. It's fake. And there's one last thing. Look at what else it does. Look at verse 13. He says this. So the grace of God appeared. It trains us. Verse 12. And then verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Saying, listen, it it doesn't just save me. It doesn't just train me to kill sin and to live righteously. It, It causes me to wait, to look forward to Jesus coming back. Now, here's what I think he's saying there. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back. Now, right now we got, there's wars and rumors of wars hopping all over the place, right? About to go on a Revelation mini series here. I'm not, but I'm just saying like, we're asking all these questions. There's a pandemic, like there's insanity happening around the world right now. Like, is this it? Is this the end? And what normally happens in that question, we're wrapped up in fear and anxiety because when he comes back, I'm afraid it's going to be awful and terrifying. Listen, here's the good news. When he comes back, he's going to finish the work that he started in you and I. So what happens is the grace of God teaches me that he saves me. He trains me to kill sin and to live righteousness. And he promises that when he comes back, he's going to finish it. Like, I need that good news because I'm not, as he's training me to kill sin, I'm going to stumble and sin. As he's training me to live righteously, I'm going to stumble and not live righteously. I need the reminder that there's a blessed hope coming, a good hope, a final hope that has me confident that when he shows up, he's going to finish the work. That's good news. Church, we should be dripping with grace that saves people, that changes people, and that gives us a hope that Jesus will finish the work. And do do we... Does our speech with one another even drip that type of grace about the mercy and goodness of Jesus Christ? When we're rubbing elbows with one another and they're failing, we want to come alongside and say, listen, the grace of God can teach you to say no to that. Listen, when, when we're rubbing elbows with one another and we're struggling to live righteously, do we drip that the gospel of Jesus pays for your failures and enables you to do right? When we're discouraged that it's just not happening quick enough, that everything feels broken, it's getting worse and worse and out of control, do we stir one another and say, remember, he's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to fix it all. It's a really good and happy hope. Is that what we do? Listen, we should be people who are dripping with gospel grace for one another, so much so that he says this in verse 15. Declare these things. 
exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You know what I think he's talking about there? I think he's saying, Titus, this is why you got to keep teaching. Don't let people ignore the gospel grace of Jesus. You, you talk about it all the time. You exhort, you rebuke all the time. Don't let them disregard the gospel. Church, so my call for us today is be grace people. Over and over and over again, I want to inject gospel grace into you over and over and over and over again. I want us to be so saturated that when we bump into each other, it's just spilling out. That when broken people show up, all they experience is some kind of crazy grace they've never known. That's what the church is supposed to be about. That's what we are supposed to be about. Let's be a gospel grace people. Would, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to guide us through a time of response. Yes, I just want to ask you, if you showed up here today, um, did you show up here needing grace? Okay, you just, you really needed it. You may not have known it when you first showed up, but as you were sitting in here, you just heard, I, I really need grace. Listen, I just want you to run to Jesus and ask him to fill you up with his mercy and his kindness. I want you to believe that he died on the cross for you. I want you to believe that he's for you. I want you to believe that he really can change you. I want you to believe that he will finish the work in you. And for some of you, you're hearing that and you realize the grace you need. You need to trust in Jesus as your savior. I and mean, I've given the good news here over and over again, but I just want to encourage you right there in your seat. Man, if you need to trust in Jesus as your savior, just repent and ask him to save you. Believe that he died on the cross for you and came back to life three days later. And he says, you don't have to be good for it. Just say work for it. He says, just believe. And that what he will do is he will adopt you and make you a son or daughter and he'll give you gospel grace. Man, anyone in here felt convicted that you were letting sin run wild in your life? Listen, would you run to Jesus for gospel grace to say no right there in your seat? Or maybe it wasn't sin running wild, just you weren't living righteously. You weren't living right. Maybe he called you to obey and do something. Right there in your seat, would you run to Jesus for gospel grace to say yes to whatever it is he's calling you to? Maybe for some of you, you, you showed up here today, you're tired, you're wore out, and you're discouraged. You got nothing left in the tank, and you don't see any hope coming your way. Listen, can I encourage you to run to Jesus and look forward to him coming and finishing with gospel grace? Like finishing, finishing, completely. If you need to spend more time with God, we've got rooms in the back. If you need to speak with someone, we have decision couches in the back. Those, those will be open for the rest of the service. At any moment, you can go back there and they'll leave you alone, let you pray in that room. If you need to speak with someone, just tell them and they will talk with you about whatever you need to talk about and point you to Jesus and give you gospel grace. 
let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I'm really glad that you're gracious. Um, I'm glad that you're so gracious that it's not just that you save us, it's that you, you're at work in us, changing us. And God, you're gonna finish it. God, would you do a work in us that we would be a people of grace? God, make us a church that's just dripping with it. God, there's someone here that needs grace today. I pray that you would work in their heart, that they would taste and see that you are really good. God, I'm just praying that you would work. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.